Nancy Levin, my beautiful friend, mm. best-selling author of three books, one literally hot off the publishing presses, so hot off the presses that it's <laughs> steaming, this gorgeousness worthy, but we'll get to that in a moment, host of your own radio show, master integrative coach, founder and creator of coaching programs, speaker, poet, with a master's in poetry and creative writing. <laughs> And I would say all around amazing reinventor. Your story is really testament to what is possible when we have the courage to leap and when we have the willingness to own our worthiness. Mm. It's really an honor to have you here today and I thank you for sitting down with us and I welcome you into my living room. Thank you, Kristen. <laughs> It's really a deep honor for me to be here with you as well. It's a deep honor and it's a, a special journey for me because we have known each other now for three years and I think it's been such a poignant three years. There's been this magnificent arc mm -hmm. and I know that there's so much ground to cover with what's happening now, but I do want to go back for our audience and I want to tell the story of your life to here, to this point. Mm -hmm. And I know you speak of it often in your books and in your writing and on stage, but I thought let's, let's just have a little fun today and insert a, a little hindsight is 2020 perspective and maybe share this story in a different way. So I thought if you would be willing to do this. I'm you, game. You're game, you're game for anything. <laughs> I'm okay, game. so I'm gonna give you a sentence and I did give you a little warning about this. It's you like your, your you Mad Libs, right? The, the mad, I know, You're the taking us libs. back, okay? The Mad Libs, we're yeah, filling in the blanks. Exactly, <laughs> the Nancy blanks. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna give you a, a sentence and I'd like for you to just finish it, okay? So once upon a time, there was a girl who had a dream job, 12 years at the, as the event director at Hay House to be exact. And one day, dot, dot, dot. She wanted to come out from behind the curtain and stand center stage. Previously, she had been managing the perceptions of others, giving other people the lens to see her through, and operating from the motto of never let them see you sweat, and chasing the gold stars and seeking external validation and really being run by her perfectionism. And then one day, dot, dot, dot happened. She jumped. What made her jump? The deep knowing that her worth and value was no longer being determined by others. That her worth and value was no longer being given to her that it actually isn't anything that can be given or taken away. So everything looked perfect on the outside. Mm -hmm. Everything in the professional realm. She was the one that kept everything together. She managed other people's careers. She was behind the scene. She was the one that fixed everything. But one day, everything in her personal life fell apart. Yeah, so I hit the moment of, you know, my own dark night of the soul, hit my own crisis, hit my own point where I knew that I had a choice of either going back to sleep and falling back into the life I'd been living or I could get about the business of making major change. You know, for me, the experience came 
out of such a sort of catastrophic shock that I knew I needed to take responsibility for my own life and that I knew that I had the choice to propel myself into something different. So let's just take it back for a second. And that catastrophic event was? My now ex-husband reading my right. journals. Right. So total devastation. And you had been married for how long? We had been married for nearly 18 years. Right. So you were really hiding behind the shadows for a long time. Hiding behind the shadows and really fearing any sort of exposure. I was living in a place where I didn't want anyone else to know me and I didn't want to know me. Right. And I didn't want anyone to see me in any other way than the way that I gave them to see me. And I was so completely absorbed with being Superwoman. This manufactured... This completely manufactured right. persona. But think about how we all do this. We all do this. Where, where so, does that come from? This. So here's what here's what I believe that we are. We all think we need to hide some aspect of ourselves in order to be loved and accepted. Right. And this begins very early on because we start absorbing information about good and bad and right and wrong, and we start seeing qualities in ourselves that we don't want to identify with. So we start actually disowning those certain qualities. So when I say we're hiding something, it can be a skeleton in the closet secret, right. or it can be a certain aspect of ourselves, a quality right. that we want to disown and disidentify from, that we name bad or wrong, because we think that if we show the truth of who we are to the world, we won't be loved and accepted. But here's the thing. We all want to be loved for who we are. I mean, that's right. what we're all running around saying that. Just love me for who I am. But we don't reveal yeah, who we are. Yeah, but it's like, but I'm not going to tell right. you who that is. Right, right. <laughs> so there's all of that. And then there are the layers upon layers upon layers of the subconscious yes. stuff that we're not even that we're not even aware, aware of. we're doing. Right. Because, right. and really, so, you know, that goes all the way back to these limiting shadow beliefs that are formed in childhood. Right. And, you know, when we're under 10 years old, we, events and circumstances occur that we're too young to process and digest in a healthy way. Right. So we make them mean something about us and we start drawing conclusions about ourselves. And this is where the beliefs start forming of, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, there's something wrong with me. Right. And what I have seen in my own life and in the lives of the clients I coach is that funneling down from all of these beliefs is at the core, I'm not worthy. Right. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of money. I'm not worthy of happiness. I'm not worthy of taking time for myself. I'm not worthy of freedom, whatever it is. So let's go back for a second. Mm -hmm. So you get this call. Your ex-husband has read your journals. Yes. It's like the worst exposure you could have ever felt, to, to right? Yeah. And so now you have to make right. a move. Make a move. Right. So it was the most exposing thing because he actually threatened to expose me. Right. So he was so the not one. only did he read them, <laughs> but he's saying, but I'm going to let everybody else read them. Right. I'm going to basically right. share them. I'm going to share them with your friends, your family. And you were you like, know, I'm never going to write another word again. Right. And right. that, and really, and I didn't for nearly two years. How many journals did you have? Over 70 volumes. Yeah. That so I, you were that a prolific I, writer. Prolific writer. Since I was 11 years old, I'd been keeping a journal and 
the day after he read them, I actually destroyed all of them, over 70 volumes. Right. I really sit with it now. And at the time, I did it out of fear. Right. Absolutely. You're like, that's it. I'm like, okay, he's holding four of them when I walk in the door. Right, right. Did he only read those four? Like, did he read 70? I wanted them gone. And I, right. and I wanted, I was operating from such a place of fear and responding and reacting to his rage and his controlling nature, which I had lived with for all that time. Right and had been had gotten very accustomed to living in a state of constant reactivity to him and the people pleasing and the bending over backwards and what can I do to make him okay and what can I do to make him happy and how can I buy his love literally and figuratively right. and so in that moment I really just wanted I wanted sort of all the evidence or all the you know anything that was written down I just wanted it gone oh, yeah so how many years ago was that that was um, April of 2008. I bring that up uh, not to rehash that situation, yeah. but to highlight where you were, how you awoke, you know, and where you are now. And so could you say that you're now out at, on the other end of that and you have a, a perspective where you can look back and say, not I'm glad you read my journals or... But I can say that. But okay. <laughs> can you say, I'm glad this event happened so that I woke up to become who I was meant to be? I can. I really, because what I know is that I ultimately, you know, set a bomb in my journals <laughs> to detonate. You're like, how long is this? Yeah, yeah this is a to slow... detonate right. eight years later. Right. And, That's a way to put you it. You know, what I can see is I do have deep gratitude for the fact that he did read my journals because what I know is that if he hadn't, I would actually still be in that right. marriage. Right. I would still be there. I would never in a million years have the life I have right now. Right. And I would still be stuck. And I would still be trying to, you know, as Brene Brown mm. says, hustle for my worthiness. Right. I would still be trying to prove myself. I would still be trying to earn my value. The big crossing over for me was around taking responsibility to no longer be pointing at anything outside of me or looking at anything outside of me right and to realize you know i have a role here too i co-created the dynamic between the two of us and it's interesting like i, re I remember after i left and as i was doing so much inner work on myself and as i was growing and evolving there were moments where I thought, oh, I could go back into that marriage. Like, I could go back into that marriage now because I've grown more. But what I realized, there was no possible way that this me right. could be in that marriage. With me, me, that him. For me, I knew that it was no longer about saving him or fixing the marriage. It was only about healing myself. Because saving that's, me. That's all I have any control right. over. So I met you mm -hmm. at this magical moment because mm -hmm. I didn't even actually know uh, what was happening in your life at that point. So that was about three years ago, almost mm -hmm. to the day. And the way I would describe that moment in your life, uh, looking back now, is I feel like you were standing at the tippy-tippy edge of a very, very high diving board. <laughs> and you had you know, toes creeping forward and, you know, you were still like hauling some baggage yeah. and you were still back in the old job and back in the old life. And I remember that you were still operating as the director of, of events at Hay House. So you were organizing the whole behind the scenes of all the events, but they were also pushing you out onto stage <laughs> to say, 
please read this incredible poetry. And I remember you went up there and, and it was magical, but you hadn't fully owned it yet. Yeah. You didn't realize how amazing you were. And it's, an, it's incredible. So this is the story. This is the story of what you've done with your life because that is really the inspiration that we want to share. You know, here today, here in your work, it, it, it falls off the pages of your books. Um, it's really igniting that possibility in other people, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Really igniting that awakening. Yeah, and you know, to me, so much of it is entwined in desire and allowing and the way that we actually invoke what we believe or have a sense is impossible and how we actually can alchemize it to become possible. You know, I was up there hosting, emceeing all these events Yeah, for you would go up years. there and do the whole, right. You know, in front of thousands and thousands <laughs> of people, no Shoot. problem, go up. But it's very right. different to say, you know, here's the lunch break or the bathrooms are over here right. or, you know, introduce Wayne Dyer or Louise Hay or Marian right. Williamson or whoever it was. Very different to do that than it was to actually go up and start bearing my soul. It was another reveal. It was a whole other reveal. It was reveal. kind of going back to that again and yeah. opening up. And, you know, this was a big turning point in this whole worthiness aspect around taking my place and owning my place and time to deliver what was in my heart. Right. And realize that the more specific I was, the more universal it actually became. Right. Because I thought, who wants to hear my poems? Who wants to hear about what I'm going through. Every book is already <laughs> written, right. right? The shelves who's, are filled. Who's going to relate to this? Right. And, right. you know, I'll never forget the first time that someone came up to me after a conference and said, you know, I thought I came here to see Wayne Dyer and I came here to hear that poem. It was really a revelation for me. Well, I remember your face because I went to the Writers' Workshop three years ago and it was a, you know, incredible lineup of people that I respect mm -hmm. greatly. Mm -hmm. I remember being most excited to walk up to you and to meet you. And I remember saying, hi, I'm you Chris. Did. And I was nervous. I, I was like, hi, Chris. And I remember saying, I was most excited to meet you. And I remember you like, like you, you are. Were, you were like flabbergasted. I'm nobody. Right. <laughs> it's about putting one foot in front of the other because as soon as you make that, that one step, then it just keeps going. It's true that it keeps going because we put ourselves into the space of being able to be with the unknown. Right. And this is... And being okay with it. And being okay with it. Because so many of us, you know, want to cling to certainty. Right. Or some sense of security. Right. And what I've seen time and time again is that the unknown is where possibility and opportunity are born. You know, we know what we know. Right. <laughs> and there's that saying, you know, our best thinking got us here. Right. So we have to be able to open to something beyond ourselves. For me, a big turning point came when I was willing to actually ask for help. That's what was, I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to ask you because here you were. Well, first of all, luckily you were working with like the greatest. Yeah, I was, but was I know, like taking it in? No, you were, you were telling, well, you, I think you were taking it in osmo right. through osmosis. osmosis, but you weren't, you weren't revealing right. what was going right. on. So here you could have had like the leading spiritual yeah. leaders. Um, so, but let's talk about that moment. Yeah. When did you finally say, 
this burden is just too much for me to to carry. I need to share this mm -hmm. and I need to come out with this and I need to crack open and start like creating the space for, for myself to emerge. It happened very slowly and it happened over time as I was able to get into right relationship with myself. So in other words, I had to first be able to be with the truth inside of me right. before I could actually begin to open up to allowing other people in to my world. And as I did, what I found is that the people I feared revealing myself to the most were the ones who rallied around me the fiercest. Right. It wasn't until I reached a place where I was no longer judging myself or shaming myself that I could actually reach out for the guidance. Right. And it was beautiful because I have this image of the people, you know, my close friends, my family, a lot of my Hay House peeps, <laughs> you know, really becoming a scaffolding around me. Right. That's a beautiful as image. As I rebuilt myself from the ground right. up. That support. Yeah. Yeah, that's really... And we need that support. We need that support. While you were doing that that healing, you were sort of a little secret undercover agent because you were writing. I was writing. And you were becoming a coach, mm -hmm. right? So when, so when did that initiate? When did so, you start taking those yeah. steps? Those so, are, you know, action steps. Yeah, very big time. Right. So in 2010, as I was preparing to get divorced, two of my coworkers at Hay House asked me to write a poem for their wedding ceremony. <laughs> I know who they are. <laughs> yes, and so I read that poem oh, during the ceremony and then that's when Reed Tracy, the president of Hay House, for yes. her best self cover boy. Yes, he's like, <laughs> Nancy. He was. He was like, oh my God, you're like a real poet. Right. You know? Uh, I have a master's. So right. Hello. That's exactly what I said. So right. that's when he started, you know, saying, okay, start sharing your poems, That's start sharing your story. And then I remember that we were putting together a conference that was called Ignite. And it was when we started ushering in sort of this younger generation of spiritual teachers and right. authors. You know, it's not your mother's hay house, so to speak. Right. And he, we were programming the conference and he said, put yourself in a spot for a keynote. And I nearly hit the floor because I like, couldn't um, even imagine. How long is a keynote? Right, I couldn't even imagine that I was going to What do I need to wear? Talk. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. I, because people had asked me forever, when are you going to, right. when are you going to teach? When are you going to speak? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing my thing. I love my job. I like to do what I do. I've got it going on. And I didn't even know that this was really something that had been percolating in me until it was sort of underway. And until you and allowed I, it. Until I allowed it and until I said yes to the opportunities that presented and then themselves. It kept. And then it kept going. Right. And, and then at the, yeah, and then at that point was when Reed said, you know, why don't you put together a book of your poems? And not that Hay House was gonna publish it, it's poetry. Right. <laughs> but I, I did, I self published. It's just poetry. Yeah. Which Reed loves to say. Yeah. Just poetry. It's just poetry. And I published that I self published that book and then all was fine and good and then Reed said to me, Now you need to write a real book. And this was, I know. Do you it's love just poetry it? and let's get a real book. I know, book. let's get a real book. It's true. I was, was self-publishing this, this real book, Leap, which is Jump. Jump in Jump Your in Life. Jump in Your Life will appear. Right. So that came out in, Mar in um, March of 2014. What was happening during the time of me writing that book was really what you were sort of pointing to. 
I decided to do my a year-long coaching certification with my dear friend and mentor, the late Debbie Ford, not because I wanted to coach, I just wanted to do the deep internal excavation and learn more about myself and help myself heal. You know, so much had... Little did you know. <laughs> little did I know. I, yeah. I really didn't. Things line up. When you take an action step, when you take a step in the direction yeah. of yourself, things line up that seem to be one thing. You don't have to be attached to the outcome of it, right? But you thought, okay, I'll start working on this book or, oh, I'm going to take this coaching class. Little did you know. Little did I know that I would be unrecognizable on the other side of it. Right. And that I would actually be infused with a deep desire. A fire. That's a the fire word that came up. Yeah. With a deep fire yeah. to help other people get free. Right. That was really the beginning of ha me even having the inkling that I might want to leave my dream job and that I might want to start something on my own. It was time for the next. It was time for the next. Right. And you know, I, it was then during that time that I went to read and said that I wanted to quit my job. And, and he's like, well, whoa, hold on a minute. And he literally <laughs> said to me, I'll tell you when you can quit your job. Right. I love that story. And he could see for me what I couldn't see. And he, you know, which is, what I absolutely take on in my coaching with my clients, I often will say to them, you don't need to believe, you just need to believe that I believe. Right. And that's really what he was for me, believing and seeing something in me that I couldn't hold for myself quite yet. And, you know, really being practical with me of don't leave this job until you really have built up your coaching practice, until you publish this next book, until you have a firm foundation under you so that when you leave, you're not in a place of desperation or you're not feeling resentful fear or, or fear. You know, you were working double time. I was. You know, because you had a full-time job, but you were doing this other thing on the side mm -hmm. and this was like a, a soul calling. Yeah. So, but you were working very hard to make working it happen. Working very hard to make right. it happen. Yeah. You know, sometimes things aren't really dramatic. We don't have a big explosion and we are stuck in a relationship, stuck in a job, um, just stuck in some aspect of our lives. And then we get so good at just talking our way through it, mulling along day in, day out. You know, what I love about your story, it reminds me of that Wayne Dyer quote, which is, don't die with your music still in you. You had a symphony that was just <laughs> trying to bust a move, right? Yeah, because I think that even though there was this sort of symphony inside of me, I did the best I could with that symphony right. at the time. What was in those journals that my now ex-husband read was that I'd had an affair eight years prior. It was my only way at the time, in whatever way mm. I knew how, to give myself an experience of feeling love. I was in a marriage that was completely filled with rage and I was completely filled with fear. And I really had to package myself on a daily basis to be digestible to him. Mm. Didn't matter what it was doing to your insides. Didn't matter right? at all. And so I was constantly in a, in a role that I put myself in right. where I was completely living in reaction to him. 
and always around you know what can I do to make sure that everything's okay for him and you know what I what I can now see because I've been able to put the constellation together of all of this you know this goes back to you know the fact that I had a brother who died and who wasn't who was ill Mm -hmm. And so, and you've heard me say. So many, this was when you were, but this is when you were a child. When I was a child, yeah. yes. When I was very, very young. young, I was two years old when my brother died. My six-year-old brother died, and I took on this role of trying to heal a grief in my parents that could never be healed. And can I just ask you, did you figure yeah. that out through your coaching? Did you make that? Did you? Make I did. The, so your work. Through through the work with Debbie Ford, right. I through the through the deep shadow work, I was able right. to actually be able to go back and see and find that and find this and what happened when I was two, what I made it mean about me. So these shadow beliefs I was saying, right. you know, everything Powerful. I made it mean about me, the way in which I then went out into the world. And you've heard me say this many times that on the day I met my husband, it was <laughs> as if he said to me, "Hi, I'm broken," and I said, "Great, I'm Superwoman. Yeah. I will fix you." Yeah. And, you know, our core wounds were a match made in heaven. And I was still trying to save my brother in him. Right. And this is what we do. Yeah. Until we heal something, we continue to draw it into our lives as another opportunity to heal. So if someone isn't experiencing something, you know, grandiose, mm -hmm. okay, but they are, you know, there's some baseline ennui, you know, it's just going, you know, going along, mulling along. Where do they start? Where do they start? What is the first question they ask of themselves to take, to take stock, to take a pulse? I love that you're asking me this. There's a fabulous exercise in this book worthy called 50 Desires. Because for me, what I know is mm -hmm. that I had been putting my wants and needs complete, I completely just put them away to enable all of everyone else's wants and needs. So everything at work, everything at home, all I was doing was taking care of everyone else's wants and needs. So you downloaded, that's my job. So I don't. And I'm going to be the best at it. And I'm going to be the best. And I you am going to be the best. Oh, I was. I mean, my God, what right. I was. You're lucky no it doubt. didn't make you sick. I'm so lucky it didn't make me sick. I'm yeah. very lucky. Because it's going to come out sideways, right? So this is the thing. Right. Yeah, when we don't tell the truth to ourselves, the truth will come out sideways. Right. Yeah. And because, you know, so if we go out back to the journals, because right. I couldn't at that time come forward in my marriage and say, hey, I went out. I did a very sideways thing in my marriage. I'm not sitting here advocating infidelity right. or anything, but I also can now have compassion for who I was then doing what she thought could in some way serve her in having a deeper knowing with herself. Well, it was also setting another bomb. And it was setting off the bomb. We create our own chaos. Right. I mean, we do. People don't like to own that. They don't like to own that. I know they yes. don't, but we do. Right. I mean, I, right. I know that I created my own chaos. Right. I clearly know. Right. And I'm now able on the other side of it to be grateful for it because all of those experiences ultimately are opportunities. I mean, I know that, right. you know, we hear this all the time and it sounds corny, but it's true. The other sort of big experience like that was my divorce mediation because I was the breadwinner and my ex-husband really didn't work. He, he could work, he was able-bodied and talented. He just really chose not to work and I allowed it. And we 
went into the divorce mediation with my lawyer saying to me, our stance is no maintenance. And what happened was we were sitting in a room together, me and my lawyer, and the mediator came back into the room after meeting with him and his lawyer to say they want $4,000 a month for seven years. And instead of my lawyer saying, no, no maintenance, no that's, maintenance what we agreed on. that's what we agreed on, right. he started negotiating a package. And in that moment, I didn't know what to do. You know and what so to I do didn't now, do, right? I, I know what to do now, <laughs> but I didn't know what to do. And so I didn't do anything. Right. And so I ended up agreeing to a divorce settlement that had me paying a lot of money, covering his debts, giving him a piece of property, setting him up, you know, for a, for a substantial amount of time to continue not even having to work. And all of this because I couldn't stand up for myself and I couldn't stand in my own self-worth. And I couldn't see the ways in which I was continuing to abandon myself for the sake of another. But at least you knew that it had to shift. It was like the catch-22. I would never have gained the knowledge and the fierceness around it had it not happened. It had right. to happen exactly as it happened. Right. It absolutely had to happen that way for me to learn. And now, I mean, this me now, sitting in that room. That just like this? <laughs> yeah, this yeah. worthy me yeah. Yeah. would have, you know, immediately said to the lawyer, hey, time out. Exactly. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, not, we're not doing right. this. No, we didn't agree to this. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Big shift for me. That, that was the excavation of some big shadow yeah. beliefs as well, right? Huge shadow beliefs. Huge. There are so many women I coach who are going through a divorce and whichever side of sort of the financial uh, carrying they're on, even if they stand to get a lot of money, they're willing to let that go because they just want to have it be over and be done with and make sure that they're not like hurting anyone or that they're not get it taking too much or, you know, it's interesting because I really, right. you know, I've coached a lot of women who are sort of on the other side of fighting right. for the money and they still want it just, they still want to push the money away because they just want it to be over with. You know, looking back, you realize that you had to go through that fire in order to become the teacher. I had to. Yeah. You know, I remember even when I wrote jump and started speaking about it, I thought, I can't get up on stage and just tell people what to do. Right. All I can really do is share my own story, share my own experience, share experience of clients I've coached, and provide a roadmap, provide a compass through the chaos. Well, but like our friend Gail Larson always yes. teaches, we hear through story. We do. We hear through the authentic sharing of another person's story. Yeah. I didn't realize um, initially that this was a book about self-worth and net worth. Um, so worthy, boost your self-worth to grow your net worth. And I thought, whoa, girl, I mean, you're taking on two serious, highly charged hotbed issues, like bringing uh, money and net worth into the spiritual conversation. Mm -hmm. I want to know, like, what was the moment? Was it was it the divorce negotiation? It was. Or? It really was. That was when I realized that the self-worth piece and the net worth piece were so intertwined for me. Right. And intertwined even about my beliefs because I was very fortunate. I, my family, you know, my, fa my family had money. My 
my parents paid for school for me. You know, I had, I wasn't, you know, I didn't go hungry. I wasn't wanting for anything. I was, I was very well taken care of as a young, you know, as a child. And, and very responsible. And, and hyper responsible, you know, straight A student. I earned by being taken right. care of. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I worked very hard. And when I met my now ex-husband, he came from a family 180 degrees from mine. I really felt a strong urge in me to make up for what he didn't ever have. And so I really wanted to be able to give him experiences that money could buy. Right. Because... So where do you think that comes from? Because that's a common thread. Mm -hmm. what, would, what would be the emotion that is attached to that? Wanting to give someone something that they don't have um, for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. And that's really the important thing to say. Right. You know, for me, I think there was some sort of, there was some sort of guilt or shame that I had it so good, let's say. Right. We think life is a zero-sum game. There we think that if we have, it means someone won't. Right. It doesn't, there are people who don't. Right. But we think that if we actually have, there are people who will go without because we have. So and there's a bucket and it's this big and yep. that's it and there's not And that there's and, some finite right, amount right. of whatever. So where do you think that comes from? I think that it comes from, back, you know, I think for, it comes from whatever it is back in childhood that we made these commitments around or that we, the ways that we chose back then to feel safe. The way we started making sense of the world around us because what we we've, were imprinted and loaded in with our parents' beliefs about things first and foremost. If we spent as much time on what could be as opposed to all of these limiting scenarios that we don't have enough yeah. or there'll never be enough, you know, we could flip that game board. You know, we have this negativity bias in the brain that has been proven now by scientists that, you know, we default to the negative. Right. So there has to be a willingness to rewire and a willingness to flip that switch around so that we can actually look into what will be empowering and positive instead of disempowering and negative. This book is really <laughs> empowering. Um, and the praise for this book was like the uh, Academy Awards of self-empowerment. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's a name that's not in here. <laughs> it was just amazing. And you're worthy of I, it. I, okay. You know what? I, I'll own it. I, yeah. I'm very grateful. Yeah. And I, I believe the book deserves it. It does deserve it. I love the, the sharing of, of all of your clients, the stories. Yeah. That's really, that was really powerful. Obviously, love uh, hearing your own story, thread through that, but love the sharing of, mm -hmm. of your clients because there's so much diversity. Yeah. There's really something in here for everyone. When I think of money problems, I think of there's not enough, or right. I need more, or I have too much debt, but I never think of I have, I have a, a money and that's a problem. Right. And, and can you speak to that? Yeah, you know, I mean, even for me, in my own experience, you know, so I go... And, and talk about frozen vegetables. And, I was going to. <laughs> it's exactly where I was going. <laughs> you know, so in my own experience, you know, so after I have this whole situation of having to have the divorce settlement, have to pay all this money, and I'm able to then, you know, recoup 
and start saving, right. I am amassing what I feel is like a significant sum of money. Right. It's sitting in a savings account at a regular old bank. Because we know it's there. Right. Because right. I just know it's there and I just want to see it and I want to see the number. I'm not the least bit concerned about like interest or and stock market or investing right. feels not, like gambling to right, me. Right. Is terrifying to me. So I'm hoarding, really. Like I was just hoarding money <laughs> out of fear. And something happened for me where someone actually gave me the name of a financial advisor. And I thought Oh, I thought you had to be like a millionaire or billionaire to have to have a financial advisor. Like I've hoarded this amount of money, but really right. just, is that worthy of a financial advisor? And I got on Skype with her and she gave me this brilliant analogy that, you know, hoarding this cash in a like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.05 right. or whatever, 0. you know, like whatever it was, some ridiculous number. Right. Um, savings account was like planting frozen vegetables, expecting them to grow. Yeah, exactly. And it hit me over the head yeah. like a two by four. We just need a good metaphor. Right. right? We just need, we a, just good need a good metaphor. And then it's like, oh, I got it. And it was, I mean, it completely landed for me. And she was brilliant because she could work with me where I was. She's like, I'm not going to suggest for you that you invest in some high risk, whatever. Something that you can't right. do. Right. She was the one who actually said, let's look at paying off your mortgage. Right. I love that. Because she said, yeah. you know, over the next 20 years, you're going to be paying this much money in interest. If you pay off, if you even take a part of that, it wasn't right. even all of it. Right. Just take a piece of that money you're hoarding and pay off your mortgage. Right. That is a huge investment and savings, right. which I had, would never have come to. Right. And to me, like that's really sort of like the cherry on the cake is that after all, you know, after everything that I went through in that divorce settlement, the fact that I sit here now and I've paid off my mortgage and, right I, left, and I left my job with right. like a pretty sweet right. salary and a right. pretty sweet gig right. to be out on my own. Flourishing. Fl absolutely flourishing. Yeah. <laughs> And the, so the book is tactical. It's mm -hmm. practical. Yeah. Um, I love it. It's set. It's you've got the personal shares. You've got the affirmations at the end. Beautiful affirmations Thank at you. the end of each chapter. But I want to talk about these exercises because mm. <laughs> this I think is a really important thing. Because especially I always say that I'm a self-professed self-help, spiritual, self-empowerment book junkie. Okay. But sometimes I can almost talk my way around things, and I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, I read that. I don't mm -hmm. need to do that exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that even Dorian Virtue says in the in the forward, yeah. like, please, like, you know, put the pedal to the metal, pen to paper, do the exercises. Yeah. I am working through those exercises right now. And it, you know, it's amazing. In the beginning, you know, I was like, oh, I know this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Mother, father, I got this, download, blah, blah. And then, boom, I had a revelation. It's so important to actually do do the exercises, right? To it do is. to do the work, you know? So I want you to speak of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so what I'll tell you is that the way I wrote this book actually was I started with a really detailed outline. Right. And then I, because I'd already had created coaching groups from Jump In Your Life Will Appear, I invited 25 of my former coaching clients to Brilliant. be to be part of a beta group, right? And 
their willingness to be part of the group was that in exchange for partaking and for getting, you know, for getting the coaching right. was that they allowed me access to their stories. I recorded all the calls and I had the transcripts, you know, had them transcribed. Wow. All of our Facebook, private Facebook group sharing was fair game. A lot of information. A lot of information. But I took this group of women through this process. And again, very diverse group. Very diverse there was, group. You know, I would say there's everybody from like <laughs> drowning in debt. Totally. To trying to plant frozen vegetables. Yes, no, really, <laughs> right. very, very diverse. Right. But I needed to see if this process worked. Right. I needed to really see that it was a proven process. So I took them through this over a period of maybe nearly three months. And I have to say the most miraculous things began to shift. And then over time, this group of women you know, have started their own businesses, have left marriages, have gotten married, have written, started, yeah. you know, exactly, have started some, have started new things, have the 50 desire exercise that I mentioned earlier, they all did this. They are still all tracking their desires. This group is still active on Facebook together, still tracking their and 50 holding each other accountable and holding each other accountable. Right. It is magnificent. It is magnificent. I mean, People have published books, people have, I mean, you name it. So let's just go back also, because I want to be really clear, because yeah. I think this is so important. Let's just talk about the basic tenet, which is self-worth, net worth, mm -hmm. okay, and how it relates. So the overarching premise is when we think that we are not enough or we're not good enough, we also fear that we won't have enough. And this fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. And we set ourselves up in such a way that we don't actually expand our havingness level. We don't actually allow in the full richness that life has to offer. When I speak about net worth, I'm not just talking. I was just going to ask you to yeah, define I'm not, it. I'm not just talking about bank, you know, bank account. Right. I am talking about the full juiciness, richness, yumminess of life. Do I have... A wealth of opportunities. Do I relationships? Relationships, right. all of it. Joy, delight, all of it. Right. Freedom, joy, happiness, all of it. One thing that always comes up for me when when looking into this work is that these beliefs, um, these downloads that we have, that we've processed and carried throughout our lives, they're so basic. They're they're, su they're survival. It's critical to uncover these beliefs that have been obstacles for us and that we have seen standing in our way because we're we're really the only one standing in our way right it's and we're really the only one that cares about it like when you were so worried about what everybody was thinking it's like they're so worried about their own lives. Oh my God, let me like, tell you, no one cares that I had an affair. Like, Nobody cares. They're like, yeah, not your greatest moment, but, you know. Do you want to know how many people would say to me when I said, you know, he read my journals and found out I had an affair eight years ago? They're like, he read your journals? Exactly. You know, exactly. it's like nothing. But again, it's, it's how big we make it. It's how right. much we carry. Right. And, you know, to carry it your whole life. And then the other thing is, the longer you carry it, carry it the further it's buried. Exactly. Right? So well, because then, we're muscling through. Right. And then and the more we have to, it's like yeah. we, need a, we need a whole excavator to get yeah. in there. All of those shadow beliefs, the I'm not lovable, there's something wrong with me. Right. 
You know, those are the beliefs that we go out into the world with. And what happens is we actually draw toward us people, places, situations, circumstances that will, re- that will reinforce right. those beliefs. Confirm our beliefs. And, exactly. And it's interesting because I even brought this up. Um, I think I had mentioned this to you earlier. I brought it up to a friend and said, oh, this is so great, this book. I'm buying it for everyone I know. And I said, you know, I was describing the self-worth and that mm-hmm. worth. And and she immediately got defensive and said, well, I don't have any um, self-worth problems. I, you know, I feel I'm worthy of money. But even though it's not commensurate what the bank account shows. So people get very defensive when you bring those words into the they, same. They do. And what I find around this conversation, too, is how many people are still living with a lot of magical thinking. Right. And, you know, I'll be the first one to sit here and say, I'm not a big believer in manifesting because I believe that it has to be backed by action. Action, right. So how about action stay, action steps sprinkled with a little faith? Yeah. Do you know abs- what I mean? Yeah, I feel like, like, because I don't, I don't get the whole thing like, oh, I don't want to talk about that because that's negative and I'm going to attract more right. of it because that's like saying, I don't want to look at my mounting credit card debt but because me, it'll just magically right. go away. I mean, that's, that's the first chapter in right. the book and step one in the coaching is taking off the blinders because... Right. Oh, you have the best <laughs> chapter names. So again, one of the things that I felt was so helpful in the book was diving into other people's stories and to sort of follow their process and to follow how you led them and how it highlighted um, the equation of self-worth and net worth. And could you give us an example of, of, of that? Yeah, so a, a client who comes to mind is someone who she was in her late 20s and her husband died of cancer. He left her a considerable sum of money. She was grieving and she also didn't feel like she was deserving of this money because she didn't earn it. Mm. She wanted to get rid of the money out of her hands and she immediately found a financial advisor to take care of the money. She then proceeded to live off of her credit cards, incurring late fees and incurring penalties, <laughs> penalties interest, right. because, late, she, yeah. because she didn't want to ask the financial advisor for her money. Right. Because she was relating it even to the experience of asking her father for money right. back as a child. So this is her money, and yet because of what's going on for her she doesn't want to she doesn't want to touch it and she doesn't want to ask for it and now she's in a situation where she's in debt that she doesn't need to be right when she comes to me we start working on the fact that what she really wants to do is move to hawaii and she's got all these feelings about moving to hawaii everyone will everyone will be jealous of me who do i think i am moving to hawaii and i said oh my god I hate Hawaii. <laughs> like, the last thing I would think yeah. is, how, who are you to move to right, Hawaii? I'd right. say, why are you moving yeah. to Hawaii? That wouldn't be my response, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's funny because like we always talk about right. that, that, you know, 
it's it's the it's our beliefs right. what we believe right. so she had this whole story wrapped around what other people would think about Isn't her that moving, amazing? moving to Hawaii how much time do we spend yes. on that how much time do we spend on what other people think right. and you know this is that you know this is the way that we put our worthiness in the hands of others we're letting others determine for us right. you know really the course of our lives so often and so in order to move to Hawaii, she has, has to actually have communication with this financial advisor to set up a system whereby she's getting money every month. So we start clearing out her debt, which she doesn't need to be having, and we start setting up a way that she can speak to him directly, even though she's afraid, and have him put a certain amount of money in her bank every in her account every month. And of course, what does he say? Yes, of course. <laughs> And yes, of course I'll exactly. do that. And every month that she does that, she's flexing a muscle that's going to strengthen. That is right? very true. So the real gem of this story, and I have chills right now as I'm telling this to you, is that the day that she called me for coaching, our first conversation, she said to me, I have binged and purged every day since I was 19, and she was in her late 20s, so wow. nearly 10 years. Wow. I've binged and purged every day of my life. I've been in and out of two clinics. Nothing has worked. And I do not want to talk about this, and I do not want to work on this in our coaching. And I said, okay, you got it. We will not talk about it. We will not work on it. Mm. Six months later, after she'd cleaned up the piece around asking the financial advisor Exercises for money. 1 through 25. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. After she'd cleaned up that piece, after she moved to Hawaii. Good for her. On January 2nd of 2015, she binged and purged for the last time. Oh. Amen. That's the... That's the... And to me, that's the way in which it's so deeply entwined of the ways that we won't take care of ourselves, the ways that we feel so out of control that we are trying to have control in any way that we can, the ways in which the choices we make daily either serve or sabotage us. It wasn't that she was unconsciously binging and purging. She was conscious, conscious of what she was doing. She wasn't conscious of why she was doing it. And she wasn't conscious of why she was doing it. And what right. she was avoiding feeling. And what she was avoiding allowing into her life. And again, in terms of the money, in terms of the joy, in terms of the happiness, in terms of the fulfillment, she didn't make any space for any of that to come in. And what is it that you say in the book also? It's, it's not the money per se, it's the the how and the what, like how we deal with it, what we think about it, yeah. the energy, you know. Yeah, it's like it's not about the money. Right. <laughs> it's about the way we relate right. to the money. So it's still, it's what are we, what are those beliefs that got loaded in? What are the excuses that got loaded in? What are we not allowing ourselves to have? What are we not allowing ourselves to want? That's why the desire exercise to me is so powerful because I know that when I got, when I left my marriage and I was sitting there on the couch basically the first morning and realized, wow, I 
I get to eat whatever I want today. <laughs> Seriously. Whatever I want whatever to. Whatever I want, whenever right. I want. I get right. to move my body in the way that I want to move. I Because my ex-husband controlled all He controlled what I wore. He controlled what I ate. He controlled the, the, my exercise. He wow. was very controlling. And I, you know, enabled it, like I said. But for the for that day that I sat there and thought, oh, my God, I can do whatever I want. And I have no idea what I want. That if left to my own life, I have no idea what it looks like. And this is a common story I have yeah. found. And so I feel like it's so critical that we start naming our desires. Because that's what starts I love to that. move them. I love that also because it's not just naming what's wrong. It's like naming what's right. What is it that we want? Yeah. What is it? Where is it that we're going? Yeah. You start the book with, again, one of your just most lovely divine poems. And I have this small excerpt okay. that maybe you... I was going to read it, but I'd like you to read oh. it. It's literally just two parts yeah. of the passages. It yeah, really yeah. stuck out and it resonated mm. with me. My body... A treasure chest, its cellular secrets under lock and key, until the moment they were ready to be freed. Knowing my worth is inside of me. It can't be given or taken away. Thank you. You're welcome. In terms of worthiness now, you've created this incredible methodology and these incredible exercises and... I, I would say worthiness 101. <laughs> Do you fall off the bandwagon? <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, it's been very interesting because as we're doing this, we're really, this is all happening in real time. This book is launching right now. Right. And what, I, what I've really come to see is that I can't possibly publish a book called Worthy and not have my own issues of worthiness you know, flare up right in my face. But it's the developing of the tools. It's right? developing the tools and it's the recovery time. Right. The recovery time is so much shorter. It's like, oh, okay, I'm doing that. And it's, yeah, so it's the That's awareness. Up. Right, it's the awareness and the tracking and the remembering that whatever is arising is here. <laughs> to teach me what I came into this lifetime to learn. Right. I know this, right. I know this now. Nothing's happening to me, everything is happening for me. And that if someone else gets, it doesn't mean that I go without. Right. I'm just so grateful to have been witness to this story, really to have seen what has transpired in your life in the last three years, and I know there was a whole lot of life that came before that, but again, the way I started the interview and the way I'm gonna end it is the same way because it is such an example of what is possible, that it's never too late, whatever it is that's going on and with whatever you're feeling and however old you are, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your bank account looks like, that you can shift, that you can do this work, that you can uncover, that you can open up to, to your worthiness. I always come back to the fact that our present moment choices predict our future. So our present moment choices are our crystal ball. Yeah. So we have... Oh, I love that. Yeah, we have the power in this moment to make a choice that will either serve the future we desire to live into or sabotage that future. 
but we have the choice. Mm. So what's the dream for, for Nancy? <laughs> and what's the dream for this project that you have, that you're birthing right now and this message you're putting into the world? I really do have a wide scope vision for this work because what I've seen is that it is striking a chord in so many people and so many different kinds of people. That there are so many ways in our lives in which we don't feel worthy. And so I really want to be able to bring this process to as many people as possible so that we can unite and stand in knowing our worth without having to gauge it against anyone or anything else. What is that saying? It's that, you know, like, I want to be not better than someone else. I want to be like a better, better version, version of, of, me. My, of me. Yeah. Right? Yeah, to be the best yeah. version of me. How can I continue to serve the highest version of me? You are a gift in my life. I thank the gods <laughs> that crossed our paths and brought you into our best self family. And I thank you for birthing this incredible, incredible work. And I can't wait to see where it goes. And I thank you for sitting down with us today. And I love you. I love you too. <laughs>